0: Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday morning podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. I don't want to embarrass them, but every time I think of my home church, I'll, a lot of times John and Caroline singing comes to mind. And <laughs> It's always cool when you guys sing. Thanks for doing that. Well, let me be the uh, 20th or 30th person to say to you today, Happy New Year. Depending on how late you stayed up last night, that may or may not be true. I always, uh, when I was living in Chicago, I always told my friends that living on the West Coast is the best place to live. And on New Year's Eve every year, I'm kind of reminded of how true that is, because I was in bed reading a book last night at about 9 o'clock, and all of a sudden my phone started buzzing. Bloop, 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 and I picked it up, and I had a bunch of messages from friends saying, Happy New Year! Of course, we get to watch the ball drop in New York and still be in bed by 9, 9.15. It's kind of nice. <laughs> so hopefully you're all well-rested and didn't stay out too late last night. If you're like me, New Year's, uh you might... Every year around this time, start thinking about how long it's been since certain things in your life happened. For me this year, since I was doing this sermon, it came a little earlier than normal, but oftentimes around this time, I'll start thinking, man, it's been two years since I graduated from grad school. Went really quickly, those two years. Or man, it's been six years since I left Oregon to move to Chicago to go to grad school. Or it's been nine years since I left Seattle to move to Southern Oregon. And time just goes by so quickly, doesn't it? You kind of blink one day and you go, man, where has the time gone? But one thing that I always think about is high school graduation. Can anyone else relate to this? I graduated in the year 2000, so this year will be 17 years Since I graduated high school, some of you are probably saying, Josh, that's nothing. (laughs) And you know, that might be true, but it doesn't really feel like nothing. It feels like something, right? It feels like kind of a long time. (laughs) I remember seven years ago now, I was living in Southern Oregon working as a youth pastor, and I went out to the mailbox one day, and there was a very pretty envelope in there. I opened it up, and it said, you're invited to your 10-year reunion. And at first I thought, oh, my neighbor's mail must have somehow got in my box. What year is this? (laughs) No, it's, wow, 10 years. Okay. So I started kind of thinking, should I go to this thing? If you know where Grants Pass is, it's about a seven or an eight-hour drive to Seattle. And so I was really going back and forth. Should I go? Should I not go? Uh, fortunately, around that same week, I got another invitation in the mail for an event that was happening on the same weekend. Kyle and Nancy, do you know whose seven-year anniversary is this year? Kyleen and Matt were getting married on the same weekend that my reunion was. So I thought, well, that's great. I can make the drive up, and I'll go to the reunion and also go to the wedding, and it'll be a lot of fun. So I did. I drove up. I went to the wedding. It was great. And then I went to my reunion, which actually was also really great any of you are coming up to that point, I recommend. Go to it. You'll have a good time, hopefully. Something really cool happened at my 10-year reunion. While we were all sitting there catching up, talking, and kind of saying where we were at in life, my friend Nona Allen came in with this really big uh, rubber-made kind of container, and she was struggling to carry it in, and she carried it to the middle of the floor and just, boom, dropped it down on the ground. Well, of course... The noise kind of surprised us all, and we looked over there. What is this big thing? We don't know what this is. Well, apparently, I had forgotten about this, but on the night that I graduated from King's High School over here, we had gone to our senior uh, party brouhaha, and while there, we had filled this container and made what they call a time capsule of things that were from the years that we were in high school, Right? And Nona's parents had very nicely kept this gigantic container in their garage for 10 years waiting for this moment to clean house. <laughs> well, we cracked that thing open and started looking through it. And uh, I don't remember everything that was in there, but I remember there was like a big Backstreet Boys uh, poster. There was some Spice Girls CDs, um, some NSYNC stuff, some movies, DVDs that we used to enjoy. I think Dumb and Dumber was in there. Um, and so we all got a good chuckle out of that and tried to convince each other, you know, oh, I never listened to that stuff, I never watched that, whatever. They were all lying. I, I never did watch or listen to any of that stuff. But it was kind of cool. And as we got to the bottom of that container, pulling all that stuff up, we were reminiscing, and then we found this packet, or like a binder actually, I guess, of a bunch of papers in there. And we opened this thing up, and Nona started calling people's names out. Ricky Brannon, Adam Dolhanick. Uh, Tarsi Bemis handing these things out to people who were there and pretty soon it came to my name She said Josh Herman and handed me this piece of paper And at the top of the paper it said in 10 years. I will dot 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 And I started looking over this at our party We had filled out these questionnaires about where we would be in 10 years And I started to read mine and this is no joke. It said in 10 years. I will be a youth pastor for a GGF church. <laughs> so I said, Whoa, I did it. And then I kept reading and it said, uh I will drive a Nissan Pathfinder. And at the time I was driving my red Nissan Pathfinder that I missed dearly. Um so I thought, oh wow, I'm I was a lot smarter in high school than I thought. Um kept reading. I will live in either Washington or Oregon. I was living in Oregon. I read a little bit lower. I will be married and have two kids. Not so good. (laughs) I will own a dog. Oh, I didn't have a dog. That was a bummer. As I read through this, some of the things had come true, and others had not come true yet. And I remember that, even now thinking about that, but at the time, it was really, it caused some weird emotions in me to read over that paper. Because on the one hand, it was neat to see That I had had this vision for my life at the age of 18, and that in some ways I had followed it, and that some of those things had come true, and I had pursued goals and accomplished them. But it also was kind of discouraging to look at some of those things and say, man, it's been 10 years, and they haven't happened yet. And now today, if I had known what I knew then, seven more years, 17 years later, and still some of those things haven't happened, I still don't have a dog. It's disappointing. It's really a bummer. Some of those other things, you know, whatever. Some of those things haven't come true yet. And it's kind of discouraging. And I was thinking today about the early church. What would the early church have said had we given them questionnaires saying, Where will you guys be in ten years? Maybe where will you be in twenty years? Where will you be in thirty years? Where will you be in 50 years? I think if we read through the New Testament, we get a pretty good idea that the new, or I'm sorry, the early church, many of them would have found some of those questions kind of silly because they didn't think they'd be here, a lot of them. Because all throughout the New Testament, we see the message, Jesus is coming again soon. And the early church really thought that that would be in human terms, soon. Many of them thought, during our lifetime, Jesus will be back. And so I want you today to just reflect on that with me a little bit. We'll spend a few minutes talking about it. Please turn with me to Second uh, Peter chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1, and we'll read together. Peter says this, he says, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you, I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Scoffers will come and say, where is this second coming that Jesus talked about? Where is it? You can imagine how the early church might have viewed this a little bit. As I already said, many of them thought, Jesus is coming back during our lifetime. And yet, maybe like we do today, they had a New Year's celebration and someone stood up front and said, Man, can you believe that it's already 60 A.D.? Where has the time gone, right? I don't know what they would have said if one of us was there and said, Well, we're from 2017. What? Right? 60 A.D. Can you believe that? Where has the time gone? Can you imagine how it might have felt for them to be waiting to celebrate another year and another year and another year and another year and, another year and still, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? He hasn't come back. We're waiting. Where is he? Towards this time that this book was written, some of their leaders were dying. They were being put in prison. They were being crucified or killed. People in the church, the first generation of believers were passing away and the new generation was coming up. It could have been very discouraging. Maybe some of them were saying, Hey, did we miss it? Did Jesus come already? If you've read uh, the book of 2 Thessalonians, you know that this is actually something that did kind of happen. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica because they had heard a rumor or a false teaching of some sort saying, Jesus already came and you guys all missed it. And Paul wrote them. He says, no, he didn't come yet. Don't be discouraged. Don't be scared. That hasn't happened yet. Don't buy into it. But certainly some of them might have thought that or they might have said, hey, did we misunderstand something? Um What did we, you know, let's look over Jesus' words again. Maybe there was a miscommunication here. Was it all a lie? Maybe that could have crossed some of their minds. We see this topic of Jesus' return over and over and over throughout the books of the New Testament because the writers wanted to remind us Jesus is coming again soon. Don't buy into the lies. Now, I already told you guys that I graduated in the year 2000. Now, for me, that was the biggest thing that happened that year, but do you guys remember any other news stories from the year 2000? Y2K, right? Do you remember Y2K? Y2K was basically a big global fear that the entire world was going to collapse because of the way that computer code had been written prior to then, right? And the codes were going to re-roll in the year 2000, and... They had been written in a way that we didn't know what was going to happen. And so throughout 1999, all of us were kind of getting a little panicky and thinking, what's going to happen? Some people thought the world was going to end. And so they started, I mean, going to the banks and pulling all their money out because they thought the bank's going to collapse. My money's all going to be gone. I'm going to be broke. Or people thought, hey, airplanes, computers are going to mess up. They're going to fall from the sky and <laughs> crash. You know, watch out. Build a stronger roof. I don't know. Um, We had people building bomb shelters or getting canned goods or um, bottled water stockpiling, right? This was like a real thing. And some of us are kind of laughing because obviously we know how the story ends. But at the time, this was a big deal, right? And I remember sitting with my mom and dad in our house in Linwood, and we were watching in New York as the ball was dropping. And we were sitting there kind of a little bit nervous. We weren't You know, we hadn't built a bond shelter or anything like that, but there was a little nervousness. If you know my mom, she gets nervous sometimes. But, so we were all sitting there and the ball starts dropping. Ten, nine, eight, pretty soon three, two, one. We all kind of went, Mom, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Daddy, okay? Yeah, I'm okay. And then what did we say? Can you believe those idiots? Man,
1: I can't believe they were worried
0: about that, right? We laugh and joke about it today because we know nothing happened. But at the time, people had told us, hey, something's going to happen, and it didn't, right? And so what did we think? Can you believe those people who said this stuff? Can you believe those idiots who said something was going to happen and it didn't? They don't know what they're talking about. That could have been what Paul's addressing here with the scoffers. Hey, you Christians said something was going to happen. We waited and we waited and we waited. Nothing happened. And the next part of the argument is, everything goes on since it has, or everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Right? Nothing changes. Everything's the same. Y2K didn't happen. Every morning the sun rises in the east and it sets in the west. The tides they come in and then they go back out again. The leaves fall and then they grow back, and then they fall again. Nothing changes, and it's not going to. Jesus isn't coming. That's the argument here. That's what scoffers want Christians to believe. But friends, I'm here to tell you this morning, don't buy into it. Don't believe it for a second. Peter tells us here in this passage that this comes from the evil desire of people to disprove our gospel. And as he says in verse 2, he says, I want to remind you to recall the words of the prophets, the words of Jesus and the prophets, sorry, the words of the apostles. So let me remind you this morning, the prophets. Long ago, the prophets were men and women assigned by God and who the Holy Spirit filled them and they spoke the word of God. They came out and they said, hey, many of them said to Israel, hey, God's judgment is coming. If you guys don't shape up and change your ways. These nations will rise up against you, and they will dominate you. And guess what? Everything that the prophets said, everything that God said through the prophets, came to pass. It happened. The prophets also spoke of the coming Messiah, right? We can read through the books of the Old Testament, the prophetic words, hundreds of comments about the coming Messiah. Each one of them came true because God spoke, and it happened. Let me remind you of the words of Jesus. In John 14, 3, he says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me, that where I am, you may be also. God's gone, but he's coming back. Turn with me real quick to Matthew chapter 24. <coughs> Excuse me. We're going to start reading in verse 30, and then skip to 36 in a second. This passage is from when Jesus spoke on the Mount of Olives. And this is what he said. He's speaking about the second coming, his second coming. He says this. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from each, sorry, from one end of the heavens to the other. Verse 36 says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with the handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Friends, Jesus tells us very clearly, I'm coming again, I'm coming again, I'm coming again, I'm coming again, I'm coming again. The apostles also, remembering Jesus' words, remind us over and over throughout the New Testament, Jesus is coming again. Be prepared. It's coming soon. And I want to remind you today, even though it's 2,000 years later, and it might seem like a long time, God always does. What he says he will do. He's coming soon. So what's that mean? Why should we care? So what? God's coming again. Great. What does that mean? Back to Second Peter. We're going to start where we left off in verse 5. It says this. Again, talking about the scoffers, he says, but they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. When we say Jesus is coming again, Peter tells us very clearly, when he comes, he will judge and destroy ungodly men. And I don't think it's a coincidence here that he references the flood. That passage that I just read by Jesus on the Mount of Olives, Peter was there. He heard the whole thing. And I'm sure that as he was writing these words, as the Spirit was leading him, he must have been reminded of what Jesus said about the flood and how it's compared to the second coming of God. We already know what God did with the story of the flood, but I want to remind you again, I'll just read this one for you this time. You don't have to turn there. But I just want to read real quickly in Genesis to remind you of what the the flood meant for the world. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 says this, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of their thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground, and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. God saw the condition of the world at that time. He saw the evil, the violence, the lack of godliness that was on the planet, and he did something about it. But there's a passage in there that gives me A little bit of hope. There's a a short verse in there that says God was grieved and his heart was filled with pain. Because God's perfect creation had gone in the wrong direction. It had not turned out in the way that he had created it, right? We know from the creation account that God saw everything he made and said, it's perfect, right? He looked again at the time of the flood and said, "Uh uh-oh, not so perfect anymore. And it grieved him, it pained him to see the condition of the world, to see that they had gone in the wrong way. I think of history a lot when I'm trying to come up with analogies or stories to talk about, because I really love history. And in recent history, just four years ago, actually, well, less than four, we had a really serious terrorist attack here in the United States in the city of Boston during the Boston Marathon. In fact, uh, I saw an ad the other day for a new movie coming out that's kind of the story of this with Mark Wahlberg. And it seems a little soon, maybe, but I don't know. I'm sure people will see it, right? In Boston, during the Boston Marathon, you guys remember that people were hanging out, having a good time, running the marathon, and bombs went off, exploded in the crowd, killing many people. Not just killing people, but seriously, seriously, Injuring and harming people, body parts were torn from bodies of young children and women, men as well. It was a terrible, terrible thing. And the entire city of Boston went on a large manhunt, right? They hunted down these men, trying to find them. And eventually one of them, one of these young brothers, was killed and the other one was captured. You might remember that a few days after this, on the news, they tracked down the father of these two young men who had done these horrible crimes. And they interviewed him and said, what are your thoughts about what your sons have done? And I'll never forget this. The, the man, the father, was so against everything his sons had done. He was shocked and appalled by what they had done. It pained him to see the sons that were his do these horrible, unthinkable acts. And yet at the same time, he said, they're my sons. I love them. I will always love them, no matter what they do, because they're my sons. I can't stand these horrible things they've done, but they're my sons. I don't think it's a coincidence that the Bible tells us God is our Father. It pained Him to see the acts of His children, and yet at the same time, He loves us. Those people who were destroyed in the flood. Bible says God saved eight people. Just Noah's family survived. Everyone else was destroyed. But it pained God to do it because He loved those people. And so let me ask you today: Is the story of the flood a happy story, or is it a sad story? Raise your hand if you think it's a happy story. Nobody's feeling daring. Kevin's humming and hawing. Should you go to the reunion? Should you not? Uh. (laughs) Okay, we got a couple votes for happy. How many of you think it was a sad story? Kevin raising his hand again. Okay. (laughs) Cheater. Um, I think it really depends on whether you were on the boat or not, doesn't it? (laughs) We know that when uh, Noah and his family got off the boat, what did they do? They praised God. They created an altar and sacrificed to him, saying, thank you, God, for what you've done. Done. On a side note, how would you like to be that bull that was saved 40 days, 40 nights on a boat? Just get off the first day and say, sorry, bull, you're <laughs> sacrificed to God now. Like, really? Seriously? All that for this? <laughs> People don't think about that, but you got to really read between the lines of the Bible when you're reading, let me tell you. <laughs> but yeah, Noah and his family praised God, didn't they? God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for not destroying us. And yet, at the same time, I have to imagine that the seriousness of the situation was not lost on them. I mean, they had to have thought about their friends, their neighbors, their co-workers. I don't know how things worked back then. But the people around them, the people of their city who were no longer there, who had been destroyed by the wrath of God, that had to have weighed heavily on them. Friends, Peter tells us here in his second book, that Jesus' future return, much like the flood, also brings with it judgment and destruction. And so I have to ask you today, is the second coming of Jesus a happy story or is it a sad story? I'll give you a hint. It's the same answer as before. (laughs) It really depends on whether you're in the boat or not, doesn't it? For those of us who are here this morning and know Jesus Christ as our Savior, who who have accepted God's free gift of grace and mercy, we say, God, thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for not destroying us. And yet at the same time, we have to stop and consider what Christ's return means for the rest of the world. It's not going to be a joyful time for everyone else. But that brings us to the last few verses of our passage today. Second Peter 3, 8, and 9. And these are some of my favorite passages in the Bible read with me if you'd like it says but do not forget this one thing dear friends with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance God is patient and doesn't want anyone to perish. Peter says, with God, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. So we need to really throw out everything we know about time, in a sense. You and I view time from a human perspective, don't we? I look at 17 years since I graduated high school, and I go, boy, that's a long time. I'm not going to name any names, but some of you might say that's not a very long time. (laughs) With God, I might say, God, 2,000 years is such a long time. He doesn't view things that way. He's not like you and I. To him, 2,000 years is nothing. So as we look at these scoffers and say, where is this coming, he promised? Where is it? Where is it? Don't worry about it. It's coming. 2,000 years is just like two days to the Lord. He is not slow in keeping his promises. Sorry, I keep doing that. (laughs) He is not slow in keeping his promises as we understand slowness. But instead, he wants everyone to come to repentance. The longer we sit here and wait, the more people come to know the Lord. Have you thought about that? God doesn't come today. Somebody today will come to know the Lord. (laughs) It's happening all over the world as we speak. I went to Moody Theological Seminary where we have students from all over the world. China, Russia, uh, Africa, Europe. They come from all the corners of the world to go to school at Moody. And they bring reports with them of the things people are doing. I have several friends who are from China that said, Josh, you should come visit me in China because the work there is awesome. you got to come be a part of it. They say churches are popping up all over the place. The government is trying to stop us, but we're just doing it anyways. And people are like, what's going on over here? And they're coming to know the Lord daily, right? The Lord is saving people in China. We know we have reports from the Muslim world that God is saving people in the Muslim world. How we think about the Muslim world as Americans, it's crazy, but to think that God is saving these people. We have reports that, hey, this guy who is a hardcore devout Muslim all his life. He goes to bed one night and in the middle of the night. He has a dream where Jesus Christ appears to him, says, Hey, you're done with the Muslim faith. Come follow me. So he wakes up the next morning. He tells his family what happened. His family becomes Christians. They start a church. The word starts spreading. These people, the Lord is doing a work in Muslim nations. In other parts of Asia, I traveled through Southeast Asia. People are coming to know the Lord. Throughout Africa, people are coming to know the Lord. Here in the United States, people are still coming to know the Lord. We had a really good report this morning from our missions team in Curacao, who's coming back tomorrow, that they've been doing ministry there for a week, and six people, while they were there, came to know the Lord. Every day that passes where we say, Come, Lord Jesus, come, and he doesn't, more people are coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That should excite you. But on the other hand, it should also cause a little bit of a dilemma in us, maybe. Does it cause any dilemma with you today? Because on the one hand, as Christians, the coming of the Lord is a good thing, right? And so a lot of us might say, Lord, come back. We're ready. We love you. Come on. Let's do this thing. I think that if you're on Facebook recently, you might, like I have seen, seen that a lot of people uh, right around now are not super optimistic about the state of the world in a lot of ways. We're kind of worried about the government. We're kind of worried about the state of politics in the world, kind of worried about wars that are going on. We're worried about hateful things going on in the world. We're worried about terrorism and corruption and things like that. There's a lot of bad things going on. And so it would be very easy for us as Christians to be like, Lord, come now, you know. I've lived a good 35 years, but things are kind of getting out of control, so come on back. I'm ready. I've, I've had a good run. Come back. <laughs> it's very easy to think that way. But on the other hand, I think about my family. I think about my friends. I think about my coworkers that I worked at Starbucks with. Uh, I'm glad my mom's not here this morning because she would cry if I tell this story. But a few months ago, my mom and I traveled over to Spokane to visit her family. Um, My mom is one of ten kids. And one of her brothers, he worked in um, the asbestos uh, industry his whole entire life. And now he is dying from asbestos in his lungs. And he does not know the Lord. And I think about that. I think, my Uncle Jerry does not yet know God. He's a great guy. He's one of the funniest guys I think I've ever met in my life. And so that's tough. I struggle with this. I say, God, I'm ready for you to come back. And yet, at the same time, good things are happening. People need a little more time to come to know you. I'm conflicted. So let me ask you today, as we've read this passage, as we've looked over these short verses, so what, so what? What do we do today with this information? How do we leave out those double doors today and have this affect us in some sense? I'm going to close in just a minute, but I want to remind you of what I think are the two key truths to remember today as we start this new year on Peter's words. And the first one is this. As Christians, we still have hope and assurance for the future. God will always do what he says he's going to do. If people say, hey, where's this coming? Where's this Jesus that you guys said was coming back again? It's been 2,000 years, nothing changes, everything's the same. Don't buy into it. We have a hope, we have an assurance that God will do what he says he will do. And we need to think about that daily. Do you live in a way that's hopeful? Are you thinking about the future? Are you thinking about the promises of God? Are you taking hope and encouragement in that? If I'm being honest with you, I don't always do that. Sometimes I can buy into some of these discussionary chatter type things and say, every day kind of is the same. You know, for me, I get up, I take a shower, I brush my teeth, I come to work, I go home, I watch Netflix, I go to sleep. Every day is kind of the same, right? We don't often stop and think about this. It's like a truth that's hidden in the back of our minds. Yes, Jesus is coming back again. Do you take hope in that? Are you encouraged? Do you feel at peace about the assurance that you have for the future? I hope you do. I hope that you work on that if you're not there yet. At the same time, I want to remind you guys and remind myself that while we're here, While we're waiting for this future hope, we have purpose. We have a mission. You know, Berean Bible Church has been here for, I don't know how many years, 50, 60 some. Nobody, none of the founding members of Berean Bible Church got together and said, you know, we really need a building where people can come and drink coffee and sing songs every week because Sunday mornings are kind of boring and we need a hangout place. Nobody said that. This church was built for a purpose, and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the bigger church, the big C church, you also were created with a purpose. We're part of something that's bigger than ourselves, a bigger purpose while we wait for the coming hope. Let me remind you today, friends, that we serve a great God over Christmas time, I was reading in the book of Job. It's the last like four or five chapters of the book of Job are my favorite part of the Bible. I read them all the time. In those chapters, God tells us about Himself, and He describes Himself in beautiful imagery. He says, "Hey, I walk along the deepest part of the ocean. I've stand, I've stood in the deepest part of the ocean, and I've also walked." Among the farthest parts of the galaxy, the farthest stars that you can't even see. I've walked there. I've stood there. He tells us, I know the exact number of kernels of sand out there on the Edmonds beach. I know that. And I know how many hairs are on each one of your heads. We serve a great God who is beyond anything that we can imagine. But let me remind you, as we looked last month in December, we spent four weeks discussing this. That God that I just tried to explain, he came to earth in the form of a tiny, precious, helpless baby named Jesus Christ who grew up for 33 years on this earth to die for you and to die for me and to die for my uncle in Spokane. <laughs> he lived his entire life as a servant, making himself nothing, going so far as to die on a cross for our sins. And the good news is, three days later, he was miraculously raised back to life. And he appeared to over 500 people who went out among the known world at that time and spread the news. Hey, I saw this. I saw Jesus alive. Some of those people even wrote down their story in a couple books that we can hold today and read for ourselves. And friends, that same God said, Believe me when I tell you, I'm coming back. Soon. Soon. What's that mean? I don't know, but it's soon. It's not long, as we know long things. <laughs> this is our purpose for being here. It's why God has not come back yet. Another one of my favorite passages is Second Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul reminds us. This message that I just explained to you, the gospel message, that message is how Christ and God the Father is reconciling the world to himself. And what does he say? He says, therefore, I give you the message of reconciliation. The church, this message is yours. You are now Christ's ambassadors as if God was making his plea through you, right? We have purpose. We have a reason for still being here. And so today, on the first day of 2017, we await eagerly that promised day when we'll look up in the sky and Jesus will be there. It's going to be awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. But at the same time, we're still here for a reason. We have work to do. We're not just sitting there watching Netflix, waiting to look out the window and hope Jesus is there, right? It's more than that. God wants no one to perish, but all to come to repentance today. I'm going to close, but I wanted to say this, that I would be doing a big disservice if I didn't just say to you today, maybe there's someone in here this morning who doesn't know this message, who maybe you're hearing it for the first time. Maybe you've heard it before and you haven't thought through it enough. Maybe you've been waiting for a snowy day to make the decision? Well, it snowed, so today could be that day. (laughs) Friends, God wants everyone to come to repentance. He wants you to come to repentance today. There's no good reason to not do it. If you can come up with a good reason not to know Jesus Christ today, I'd love to hear it because I guarantee you there is not a good reason. Come to know him today. If you'd like to do that, I'll be out in the hallway today. Pastor Jim, he'll be out there. Um, Kyle probably doesn't know I remember this, but when Billy Graham came to Seattle years ago, Kyle worked as one of the guys that went down front and prayed with people that accept the Lord. So if you're afraid of me, come talk to Kyle. He knows what he's doing, okay? (laughs) We would love to see you come to know the Lord today. For those of us that already know the Lord, be encouraged. We have a future hope that's pretty exciting. But while we're here, use our time wisely. We have a purpose, and it's important.
1: Thank you. Thank you for coming today. Josh, thank you for sharing your heart with us. And as we uh, leave this place, I just want to remind you, I, over the years, I've had people come to me and say, you know, uh, I receive the Lord right here in this auditorium when the, when the gospel is given. And Josh has made that invitation to you today. And if you're here today, I know most of you, and I know most of you know Christ the Savior, but I don't know everybody's heart. And if that's you today, as Josh has said, why not? Why not today receive God's forgiveness and mercy and the hope of eternal life? Yesterday, about this time, a little before this, I was at uh, the hospice center with our brother Dave Ludwig and his wife. And I knew Dave would not be with us on earth here long. And this morning, 6.30, he was called home to be with the Lord. There was no fear. There was no worry. Sure, it's a loss for our family and friends on this side for us, but for Dave, there was no fear because he knew Christ the Savior, he loved him, and he was going into his presence. And I invite you today to have that same hope as we enter 2017. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer. As I do so, I would like to just give a quiet moment. If there's a person here today... And you would like to just quietly, this is not for us, for the church, or anybody else, it's you and God. If you would like to say simply, yes to salvation today. Josh has shared the gospel. Jesus Christ came to earth, lived a life without sin, so he could die on the cross as the holy, blameless sacrifice to suffer God's punishment. To suffer his punishment for my sin and for yours. He rose from the dead. Victorious over death and the grave and over sin. He's at the right hand of God the Father. He is coming back soon. And He offers to you complete forgiveness for your sins. And He offers to you eternal life. And will give you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of that eternal life until He returns. If you would like to receive that today, would you in this quiet moment say yes to God? and accept eternal life. Father, I pray that our hearts are open to You as we leave this place for those of us who have received Christ as Savior, Lord. uh, may Part of our uh, commitment this coming year is that we will be open to the opportunities that will come our way, even this day, even this week, this month, to share the good news of Jesus Christ and not be afraid to live a life that is pleasing to you, that shows your love, and to open our mouths and to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And my prayer today, Lord, if there's anyone here today who has not received Christ, they would do so. And if they have done so today, that they would quietly come and just tell us so we can pray with them. We can help them in their growth and walk with you. We have so much to be thankful for. We rejoice in your presence. We rejoice in the power of the Holy Spirit. We rejoice in your word today, and we thank you for the word that's been shared with us, both in the teaching and the music today. We leave this place rejoicing in Christ our Savior's name, and all God's people can say together, Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Come and join us this next Sunday as well.